Team leaders will meet in the cafeteria shortly. All right, so we are actually going to go, maybe a little hoot to holler, amen, to Luke chapter 9. Amen? Anybody out there? Somebody say amen. All right, that's about a half an amen. So amen means so let it be. This is the word of the Lord, and from this moment in time, what we read today, God can use to affect your life. Whatever I get right or whatever I get wrong, I'm a human being, and I try to follow the Lord to the best of my ability. Um, uh, really, and it isn't even my ability. I try to follow the Lord to the best of what he's put in me. Okay, And so as we look at this text today, I want you to think about what God might be saying to you by these words. And that's what's key. But I'm going to point out a few things that I think the Lord might want us to see. So it's Luke chapter 9. Before we get there, I want to, say, I want to kind of just explain something to you. Some years ago, uh, Sherry and I had to fly down to Mississippi. In fact, the white van that you see out there in the parking lot, a church in Mississippi who was partnering with us at that time gave us that van, praise the Lord. And we had to fly down there to get the van. The day that we went to go to the airport, we got dumped on with snow. It wasn't super cold outside. It was about maybe like, I don't know, 20 degrees, 20, 25 degrees, something like that. But we got about 12 inches of snow, something like that. At least that's what was in my driveway anyway. I never saw on the forecast exactly what it was. So I'm outside. Our flight was leaving at 7.30 a.m. You know what it's like when you got to fly at 7.30 a.m. you got to be there like at 6 in the morning because of security and everything else. So I'm outside at 5, 5.30 in the morning, and I'm shoveling snow and clearing off the cars and got to drive to Detroit and get on the airplane. And uh, I got done shoveling the snow, and the car was running. It got just a little bit warm. And I went back in the house, and, man, I wanted nothing more than to just lay down. That's all I really wanted. At 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd gotten about five hours sleep, been out in the cold and shoveled off the car and cleared the driveway enough to get out and whatever. And all I really wanted to do was just lay down and rest. I can totally understand the idea of laying down and resting when you've been through it. And the truth is, the little bit that I know of your story and a little bit that I would think about of my story, we've been through it. 
you've experienced it. You've experienced loss, you've experienced pain, you've experienced fatigue. Even the youngest people in this room have really been through it. And sometimes all you really want to do is take a break. Here's what happened on that particular day. I did not lay back down. I got in the house and Sherry said, we better go. We don't know how long the drive's going to be to the airport. And she was right. We got our bags in the car and drove to the airport and parked and you know, memorized the pole which we parked by so we could find our car later because we had to go to go ahead and go drive. And then we had to, uh, we had to drive to the When we got back with the van, we were going to have to drive to the airport and get our car. That was the arrangement. And uh, got in the airplane and I didn't sleep. I don't sleep in airplanes much. I slept in an airplane one time and I woke up with a Frankenstein neck. It was kind of like this. And so I never, I, I just don't sleep in airplanes very much. I didn't sleep in that one either. And um, I didn't sleep. We flew to London the one time and, and it was like a, like an 11 hour flight. I didn't sleep the whole time. Everybody slept but me. There was a point in time where there was like 150 people and they were all asleep and I was the only person awake. I was watching a movie and I didn't sleep the whole flight. And then I had to drive through London traffic when I got there and it was, it was tough. Anyway, so we flew to Mississippi. We got off the plane in Mississippi, and the temperature there was 72 degrees. Fortunately, I had planned ahead and had packed shorts. And so after, in the morning, shoveling whatever that actually was, a bunch of snow to get the car out of the driveway, just four hours later, we went to lunch, got barbecue chicken at a little chicken joint uh, in Mississippi in shorts, and t-shirts. Now, if I'd laid back down that morning, I never would have got to Mississippi that day because the plane would have left without me. If I laid back down that morning, I would never would have got to sunshine and warmth and rest because the plane would have left without me. I want you to think about that for a moment as we go to what's a relatively short text for what's a relatively short and I think poignant message today in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 57. I'm going to read to verse 62. So 57 says this, it says, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that's what I said to Jesus when I got saved, and I've heard a lot of Christians say that and say, I will follow you wherever you go. Later they'll say, you're going to be killed? We'll be killed with you. It's fine. It isn't really true that they would follow him literally wherever he went. They abandoned him on the night of his arrest. Um, but he had kind of told them that what was happening was necessary. They said, this person came to him and he said, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus has an interesting answer for them. He says in 58, and Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning that God had ordained in creation a place of rest and you could say shelter and provision for all of creation. One of the things they study about animals is where they nest, where they live. That's particularly useful if it's a dangerous animal. Where does a cobra hang out? Where does a crocodile rest? Right? Those are particularly useful pieces of information to study. Here Jesus is saying the foxes and the birds, and you could substitute then everybody pretty much, everybody and everything, has a place to rest. They have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, first of all, the Son of Man reference is an interesting reference to essentially God in the flesh. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7. For him to call himself the Son of Man is loaded with meaning that we're not going to get into today. But he was, he was telling them that maybe it's kind of weird. It's kind of a poignant truth. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of sad 
that God comes amongst men in the form of a man and has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this is a warning. And the first point of the sermon today is essentially this. Called to follow Jesus is called to go without. I understand we live in the United States of America, and everybody wants a nice place to live and money to pay your bills, and and everybody's expecting to have a happy life and good health and whatever. And so when we're young, you know, we exist on snack cakes and Mountain Dew or whatever. And then we get old and wish we had never done that to ourselves, right? Because we live in the United States of America, everybody's expecting it to go well. But if you live in the kingdom of God, you need to understand that Jesus was calling them to, like him, go without Before you fret about going without something that you might like, the comfort, the things that the world often takes for granted, in fact, you might have to give up a bag of Doritos, or you might have to give up one place to live to live in another. You might have to give up a job that God didn't call you to in order to be able to serve the Lord in another. You may have to give up one relationship to go where God would take you to win another. Before you worry about giving all that up, I want you to think for just a moment what Jesus gave up to come to earth. You, you realize, doctrinally, and it's clear in Scripture, that Jesus was present in heaven. The thing that we yearn for in the midst of our sickness and our fatigue, in the midst of our lack, whatever it might be, Jesus was present in heaven. We go, oh, this will only last for a while. I can tolerate this terrible sorrow, temptation, struggle, whatever, distress I'm in, because ultimately I will be in heaven and it will all be taken care of and every tear wiped away, if there even would be a tear. That's where Jesus came from. That's what Jesus gave up. While every creature has a place to lay its head, often of its own construction, Jesus gave up the perfect place to come to earth. Called to follow Jesus is in some sense called to go without. He was warning them. He said, you'll go anywhere I'll go, but understand, you're giving up baseline safety and comfort. Now, you'll probably have a roof over your head. God does provide. You'll probably have a job to work, money to make, money to give, to tithe, offerings, somebody's in need, whatever. You'll probably have that in your lifetime. But you need to understand that that's not a guarantee. Jesus said, you say you'll come follow me wherever I would take you. If you follow him, you are committing yourself to go without that baseline safety or comfort that people have. Have you ever gone to work or to school and had a bad day? Just what didn't go well. You know, things were said that you didn't like, things broke that you wish didn't, things were lost that you wish were found, didn't get your homework in or didn't get your project done or whatever. And you came home to your family or to your house. And even though You might not have everything that you would desire in that moment. That's your baseline comfort. That's, I'm okay. You know, we'll try again tomorrow. You switch roles. You go play with your children or you watch a TV show that you like or you make yourself some comfort food because you're safe now. You're not in the fight anymore. If you can't do that, by the way, if you can't leave work at work or school at school to some degree, then you're having trouble adjusting socially and that baseline comfort will not give you the comfort it's supposed to. 
men and women wind up fighting because a man can't or a woman can't leave her work at work and they want to bring it home and expecting their spouse to solve all their problems. Your spouse is your baseline comfort, not your problem solver. Jesus said, you say you'll come and follow me wherever I go? Understand that to follow me, to unite with me in actual koinonia, actual fellowship, is to give up things. It is to go without. In 59 then, the story continues a little. He said to another, now Jesus is speaking, he said to another, follow me. But this other one said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. Now that seems like a perfectly reasonable request. In fact, based on Old Testament scripture, honor and obey your parents, right? Based on everything that we know about how a child or a, a young man or even a mature adult, is supposed, by the way, the Ten Commandments where it says honor and obey your parents was not written to children, right? It was written to adults. So be careful about writing your parents off when you become 18. That's not even biblical. Right? All those young people go, I can't wait to get out of here. Be careful. The Bible doesn't say that. Only the laws of the United States of America say that. And he said to this other, follow me. And the man said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request. But Jesus said back to him, it says, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. In this text, Jesus is explaining, first of all, that there's the dead and there's the alive. And everybody wants to say that the dead are in the graveyard. I'm here to burst your bubble if you think that's true. The dead are not in the graveyard. Their carcasses, and I use that word very intentionally, are in the graveyard. The bodies that they rode around in while they were on earth are in the graveyard. If they died several hundred years ago, or if they were buried without a casket that insulates them from nature, their bodies probably aren't even still there. The dead are not in the graveyard. The dead are either in heaven or they're in hell. And that includes those who are walking around on earth. If you're here as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to what this Paul is teaching us uh, in uh, three or four or five books that he wrote, and Jesus was explaining right here, you need to understand that you're alive. In Christ, you're alive. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, you're alive. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were born again, alive, truly for the first time, alive. But there are people who are walking around, doing jobs, paying with money, accepting gifts, encouraging, in their own way, others around them, right? And they're actually dead because they don't know Christ. They're just as dead as those who are in the graveyard dead, as those who are in hell dead. They are separated spiritually from the God of heaven, and they're suffering for it. And when you face real trials and trouble in this lifetime and you're dead, you start to feel like you're dead. There is no safety. There is no protection. There's no shelter. There's nowhere to run to. You start to feel like, oh, I lost my job. I'll never survive this. My boyfriend broke up with me. I'll never survive this. He doesn't believe me. She doesn't believe me. I'll never survive this. He or she said that I'll never be able to go on. Why? Because you're dead. You can't because you're dead. Worry kills because you're dead. Depression kills because you're dead. 
People who are Christians get into worry and they go, you know, I really shouldn't worry. And they struggle and hopefully repent and turn to the Lord. And they get to being concerned, perhaps, but moving away from worry, as the Bible tells us, not to be anxious, not to worry. But people who are dead, they get wrapped up in that and they feel like they actually are, which is dead. But if you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, which means he tells you what to do and you do it, and your Savior, which means he pays the price for your sin, then you are alive. And he is saying, there is an alive people and there is a dead people. Now, is he saying that you can't have funerals? No. Is he saying that you can't bury your loved ones who passed away before you? No. Is he saying that you should never buy a casket? No. Is he saying that the preacher shouldn't speak some words over the casket as it's lowered in the grave or as it's as is more customary now, is it sitting there? No. All of that is fine. What he's saying is you can't be wrapped up in the affairs of men. You can't be overly concerned about what's going on in the world and also be following me. That's what he's saying. So he says, come follow me. And if Jesus says, come follow me, then he means for you to come follow him. Do what he has for you to do. And then the affairs of the world... If they, if, at the very beginning, when Jesus says, come follow him, you go, oh, I would, but, and this is what I did. I said, oh, God, I would get saved, but I, I really need to talk to my wife first. Even though I had made a dozen decisions in the past three to four days without talking to her, and some of them affected her and even hurt her. Even though our relationship was not good, I, I made the excuse to God. And I, I can now hear God saying to me, let the dead go talk to their wife first. You come follow me. Because people get wrapped up in the affairs of the world and they let that stop them from following God. And I, I wish I could say, this is only people who don't believe. But it isn't. Because there is so much in the world. Pastimes, hobbies, bills, health concerns, sports, TV, entertainment of all kinds. There's so much in the world that frankly is good. It's all good in some sense. But you and I both know you can't eat six pieces of chocolate cake in a day without affecting your health. And you cannot indulge in the good of this world while saying you are following Jesus without the good of this world pulling at your following Jesus. And every time there is a, a crux, a moment of juxtaposition, here's Jesus pulling me this way, here's the world pulling me this way, you have to adamantly, without a doubt, absolutely, completely certain, say, no, I'm following Jesus. If it means you're broke, if it means you quit doing something you love to do or think you love to do, you follow Jesus. Trust me, Jesus' plan is always better, and he will lead you in a way that you will love. Professional athletes that have given up their careers to follow God. Or that have used their careers as a platform to preach the gospel all over the world. Movie stars that invested their whole fortune in following the Lord. And then professional athletes and movie stars who were rich beyond yours or my wildest dreams and never alive. This life is not about whether you live or die. It's about whether you die with and never have lived. Because if you die and never have lived, you will be apart from God for an eternity. So saith the Lord.
during the aftermath of that terrible event that took place on September 11, 2001, when, when the building was in terrible danger and they had no concept that it was going to fall down, every fireman, every police officer, every concerned citizen, every professional was rushing toward the building to help. So firemen and police officers rushed in a building that then fell on them. That's what actually happened. But some of them who rushed in made it out. As the building started to fall, they rushed out. The building fell and collapsed and it shot ash and smoke and it painted everything gray for miles in every direction. Visibility was a couple of feet. Literally. Not from fog, but from the remnants of that building that were microparticles spread in the air. They, they couldn't see. Just a couple of feet. And men who had rushed into the building to try to save people, it fell. They rushed out and were saved themselves. You know what they did next? They rushed back. They rushed in, barely survived, rushed out, and rushed back in. Because they knew the one thing that everybody who's ever served in a, in a terrible tragedy like that, in an earthquake where a building fell down, whatever, that there could be people buried under the rubble. I submit to you that in the simplest of terms, everyone who was buried under thousands of tons of rubble that day was essentially dead. Now, I don't mean spiritually dead. I clarified that already when I mean spiritually dead. Now I'm talking about their bodies were essentially dead. If you're sitting under 2,000 pounds of rubble and you cannot get out, you are destined to die. Your body will stop working. Your heart will stop pounding. Your brain will stop making brain waves. Your lungs will stop. You will die. You cannot save yourself. It is not possible. But men who rushed into the rubble and rushed out again, rushed into the building, rushed out again, rushed back into the rubble. And in 24 hours, 13 people who were essentially dead, who could not possibly have spared themselves in any way, shape, or form, were found buried under the rubble and extricated. We are alive. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are alive. And as it says very simply, and we studied this on Tuesday night, so I won't get into it at length, but in verses 55 and 56, Jesus said to the disciples who were contemplating calling down fire on the villages, he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he said, you are called to save them. If you will come follow Jesus, he was sent to save them, and you are as well. And so that brings us to the point that alive people proclaim life availability. That's what we do. I'm still trying to figure out how it is that people who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth, sometimes not participating in the church, sometimes participating in the church, don't go around and to anyone that they run into explain the simple truth that Jesus will, if they let him, make them alive. How can that be? How can you or I know people that we have not mentioned Jesus to? Now, they might already be saved. I get that. And they might not want to hear it. I get that. And they could be anywhere on the middle ground. But I'm trying to figure out how it is that you can say, I will come follow the Lord. And Jesus say, I've come to save, not to destroy men's lives, but to save. 
and then we say nothing? That doesn't make any sense. Because alive people are under the rubble of this life. Without us or without some witness about Christ, they may be dead. You are no longer of this world. Jesus said over in John 17, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. In other words, God is not about protecting you so that you can do a little better, so that you can enjoy the things of this life a little more, so you can collect experiences or money or whatever for yourself. God is not about protecting you so that you can do that. In fact, if you will look at Jesus' words, you'll see that it's in the Great Commission where he says, Go ye therefore... And make disciples. And it ends with, and lo, I shall be with you even unto the end of the world. Jesus is with you. But if you say, that's all right, Jesus. I don't need you right now. I'm busy about some other things. There is no promise that he will be with you. Except in conviction and calling you unto his purpose. That's it. And Paul says that all things in your life will work together for your good. But it's, he makes that promise for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Oh, we just want to leave that part off. Why did Jesus come again? Why did he leave heaven? Perfect comfort. Why does he go without? And as we are called to follow him, we are called to go without. As he makes us alive, we are sent back in, if you will, to the fray to save others. Alive people proclaim life availability. Just a little further and we're done. 61. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This verse is essentially about reaching versus looking. I uh, was in the kitchen washing the dishes. I had loaded the sink, not somebody before me. I already knew that there were steak knives in the dishwater below the bubbles. But I couldn't see past the bubbles. I couldn't see into the getting dirty water. And I reached in and I felt that little tinge of pain. I thought, oh no, that was really dumb. Jesus would have you looking where you are reaching. When I was taking driver's uh, preparation courses at Northwood back in the day with Mr. Full of Love, who was an old grouch but a great teacher. He said, you put both hands on the wheel like this, two and ten, you go down the road. And he said, and you don't adjust the mirror or look in the back seat or look over your shoulder while you're driving because when you look that way, you go that way. Right? I learned that. 16 years old. Jesus is saying, if you're going this way, I want you looking this way. You say you come and follow me, then you look toward me. The sheep will beat the snot out of each other if they don't keep their eyes on the shepherd. Who are you looking at? Who are you following? Jesus said, the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is about grip versus reach. I can reach it. Now I can't. I can reach it. Now I can't. 
What are you reaching for? What are you after? Jesus said, come follow me. This is about doubt or considering alternatives. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to go this way, but I'm still thinking about it. Let me see. It's a good way to run into a wall or get off course. Jesus said, no, you come follow me. You look the way we're going. It's about commitment and rec recognizing alternatives. I'll do it. Oh, this is nice. What is this over here? I'll, I'll get to it. It changes immediately when you look away, when you take your eyes off of where you are focused. And your focus is supposed to be Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who left heaven to be man, who gave up and went without so we could do the same, so we can be the living, saving the dead. And yet, people say, I'm following Jesus. Ooh, she's pretty. I'm following Jesus. Oh, I like this game. I'm following Jesus. Oh, I like this food. Don't you understand that we have a responsibility to manage everything that God lets us steward so that we can still be following Jesus to the very end? But it's worse than that. Because it isn't about taking your hand off the plow. It's an interesting analogy in agriculture, by the way, because the man works the plow. Animals are pulling it, works the plow. And if he's doing this and he's not paying attention, by the time he runs about three, four rows... They look a little bit like this because the course is no longer straight. He can't keep the animals from wandering. They, don't, they won't necessarily wander off the field, but they don't walk straight either. They've got a crazy gait, and it requires the man to direct the plow. If they go slightly left, he directs the plow. And it's the earth that then reigns in the animal that keeps the animal going in the direction that they're supposed to. It's about commitment versus recognizing alternatives. Faith and doubt are just that. You say you believe? Then every time something comes, I'm not talking about every time something comes to challenge your faith. Because I'm not thinking, if you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you believe that God is real, Jesus is real, lived, died, rose again on the third day, saves those who call, if you believe all that, I don't think you're going to change your mind about that. I don't think you're going to change your heart about that. If you believe it, I think you're going to keep believing it. The question is, are you going to be fit for the kingdom of God? Not will you get saved. Not will you go to heaven. Not will you be forgiven of your sins. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where that is that person, place, or thing in which God reigns. You want your life to go the way God wants it to go. Trust me. You want your life to go the way God wants it to go. Which may mean losing a job or a relationship or being persecuted. You want your life to go the way God wants it to go. That's the kingdom of God. But if you look back after putting your hand to the plow, so saith Jesus, then you are not fit for the kingdom of God. You will be a wanderer. You will be a drifter. You will not be fulfilling your purpose. You'll figure out God's calling for your life, and then things will get rough, go wrong, go off direction. You, go, I'm not sure, and you'll back out of it. And you may never get into it again, or you may figure out God's calling on your life five or ten or fifteen times, which, by the way, just looks like waffling. I want to work here. I don't want to work here. I want to work here. I don't want to work here. I want to work here. I don't want to work here. The first time you say, I don't want to work here, according to the very standards that Jesus himself set, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. But it's worse than that. It isn't even the first time you say it. All you have to do to be not fit for the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is to take your eyes off the job that Jesus has given you. Whatever that is. 
I guess I'd say, be careful about learning what Jesus wants from you, because once you learn it, you'll be called to it. And once you're called to it, you'll be responsible to maintain your eye on the Savior while you do it. We're in our conclusion. We'll recap briefly. It is this. Jesus was warning that called to follow him is called to go without. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are alive and not of this world. And alive folks spend their time proclaiming life availability to everyone else. If that's our job, then why are we not about it? I submit to you it may be because we took our eye off the road ahead and put it on something that inhabits the day. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. He says, But whatever things were gained to me, and he has quite a pedigree, by the way, a lot of things. There were a lot of good things that he could have said, this is who I am and what I am and all that. He says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. In other words, whatever your victories, be prepared to walk away from. Whatever your successes, whatever your accumulation of money, wealth, property, relationships, be prepared to walk away from them because a call to Christ is a call to go without if it's necessary or when it's right. He said, I've counted all of those things as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. In other words, whatever good thing I might see that I might take or what that might come, I count that as loss as well. When you consume the good rather than following Jesus, that's loss. Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. In other words, everything that I could get, I count that as junk. Prominence, joy in worldly things, friendship with worldly people, successes in business. It goes on and on and on. It's all junk so that I may gain Christ, which is the only real gem of this life. It says, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, meaning we will suffer with him, being conformed to his death, and you will die if Jesus does not come again, you will physically die and your physical death will be for Jesus, assuming you are living for him at that time. Verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that's the goal. I ultimately want to go there to be with God forever. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, meaning complete or whole, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The question is, are you working toward the same goal for your life that Jesus is? Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, meaning complete or whole, have this attitude and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. 
That standard begins with an understanding that to be called to follow Jesus is to be called to, when necessary, go without. That standard is for to recognize that we are alive and to understand that in the world we are surrounded by people who are not alive and that we have a job to do to proclaim, to proclaim life availability. You are not of this world if you are a follower of Jesus. You are of the kingdom of God. To be a friend with this world as a member of the kingdom of God is to be a traitor, to have enmity between you and God. Whose side are you on? Do you not understand that God wants to save everybody he possibly can? And if you're on his side, then you will participate in that task. And it will be the most important thing to you as you look straight ahead at where Jesus is taking you, not turning aside to all the good things that are offered to you along the way, not turning to look over your shoulder, not mourning or regretting what went on in the past, but rather looking forward to what Jesus is about. Are you with him? Or are you, like so many, distracted by the good things of this life, which are all gifts from God and meant, if anything, to be sown into the, the road that you are already working on. I got money, I'm using it to do what God would have me do. I got people, I'm working with them to do what God would have me do. I got talents, gifts, abilities, I'm working with them to sow them into the task that God has given me. You take everything and it's like, I, I don't have time to stop and pick something up, but I have time to move directly forward and carry with me whatever God has attached to me. Had I gone back to bed that day, I would never have put on shorts and walked in the sun. And there are a lot of people who've been through it and they're interested in getting it fixed. Hear me now. Jesus did not leave heaven, come to earth and die to fix you or to fix your life. This world is going away. Jesus came from heaven and died and rose again to call you and to call me to join the effort to go directly from here, remaining in the kingdom of God for the purposes of the kingdom of God, seeding the kingdom of God, harvesting the kingdom of God, and to plow right into the kingdom of God when this life is over. He made it possible. It is possible. Do you believe it? Will you follow him? Or will you, like so many before us, be distracted by the things of this life that are meant to bless you and provide you with a baseline physical safety and comfort? Yes. But you know where the real safety and comfort lies. When your house is gone and everyone else's house is gone. When the earth that you walk to and from school or to and from work or the aisles that you walk in the grocery store are long gone. When your car long gone. When your body is long gone, what will you have then? I was delivering pizza, final illustration, I was delivering pizza years and years ago now, working for pizza. I was actually a manager at the time, but we were very busy and I had stayed over and I was delivering pizzas. And I was out on um, Holland Sylvania Road, north of Central Avenue. And it was a dark and cold and kind of rainy night. Um, and I had delivered a pizza. And as I came down from the house, I was on Holland Savannah, I came down to a busy road. I had parked my, I'd, I'd gone past, and, or maybe I had another delivery, I don't remember, and I had parked my car facing southbound on the west side of the road. 
and the house was on the east side of the road, which is the northbound side. So I was passing, I was crossing through traffic. I go up, I deliver the, this is back in the day we used money, by the way. <laughs> anyway, I go up and I deliver the pizza, and I'm coming down with the empty pizza bag under my arm, and I go across the lane of busy traffic. Now it's dark, and it's rainy, and as I'm crossing the lane of busy traffic, I knew I had plenty of time to get across the road. I bent, I looked down and I saw a quarter on the ground in the middle of the lane. And I bent over to pick up the quarter. Well, when I, while I was picking up the quarter, I saw some more change, like two more quarters and a dime that was like a foot away or a step away, a half a step away. I pick up the quarter. Now it's cold and it's raining and I'm getting wet and it's dark and visibility is not great. And I'm picking up this coin and I go, oh, more. And I go over here and I pick up this coin. And I pick up like, there was like three more coins. And I pick them up and all of a sudden it gets light. I'm looking at the ground and it gets light where I'm standing. And I realize I've bent over on a high traffic road in the middle of the dark and the rain to pick up 61 cents or whatever it was. And what an idiot I am. And I quickly j dodged out of the lane. And as you can see, I'm still here. So I didn't get hit by the car. And I went to my car and I said to myself, I will never do that again. And I never have. Now, I've, not, I've picked up money out of the road. But I've never done it without looking to make sure there wasn't a car coming. What I'm saying to you is, Jesus says to you just the same as he did to that man. Come follow me. Or are you wrapped up in the pursuits of the dead? Come follow me. Or are you concerned about what your family or friends or relationships, how that might impact you? No. Decide now. He says, come follow me. Follow him. Put your eyes on the course ahead and everything that's good that comes, use it as part of the effort. And if it cannot be used as part of the effort, then dismiss it as a distraction and keep your eyes where they belong. That's what it means to be alive in Christ and to follow the Lord. And one day, one day, You'll be vindicated. It'll be obvious that you made the right choice over and over and over again. Now, maybe you're here and you say, I am a follower, Lord. I know that Jesus is real. I know that he leads my life. I know that he saved me. But I also realize that I am a distracted individual. It's simple. And it might be, you might, listen, I'm talking about good things. You can get distracted by bad things as well, right? Very bad things that you already know are bad and you can still be distracted. But I, I think most good-natured people are not doing that. I think that it's the good things that are the problem. So I'm saying to you, if you would say, I am distracted by the good things, by work, by money, by joy, joyful experiences, by family, by friends, by electronics, by hobbies, by sports, by cars, by the list, whatever. If you'd say, I'm distracted by that from being my focus only on following Jesus, what do you do? You turn to Jesus today. The same way you got saved, you turn to him and him alone and then start deciding what belongs and what doesn't. And the definition of what belongs and what doesn't is whatever can be used without slowing me down, whatever can be used without distracting me so that I'm still learning, growing, focused on the way we're going. And anything that can't be used that way has to fall away. Here's to the classroom. Back at the invitation. All right, kiddo. Let's go.